0: Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Whitney trainer guiton on geothermal energy, the featured special section in December's The Leading Edge. This episode is one of my favorites. Whitney provides a great primer on geothermal energy, explores the role of induced seismicity and in full wave form inversion within geothermal, and explains why managers should always use the value of information metric when making decisions. Whitney brings a lot of insight and expertise to this topic. Whether you are new to geothermal energy, seeking to get more involved, or consider yourself an expert, you will get something from this episode. This episode is sponsored by CGG. As a global geoscience technology leader, CGG provides a comprehensive range of products and services to support the discovery and responsible management of the Earth's natural resources. Gain deeper insight for hydrocarbon, mineral, and geothermal resource exploration and development with CGG's expert multi-physics imaging services, commercial multi-physics software, and global multi-client GravMag data library. Wishing you a successful new year, in 2021, let CGG help you see things differently. For Whitney's biography and links to the papers, visit seg.org forward slash podcast. Let's get to the conversation. So let's, let's kind of get started, Whitney, with the, the basics here. What is geothermal energy and how viable is this source overall to provide energy?
1: So the big picture is that radioactive decay in the Earth's core provides a very large heat source. And so we can see this um, as a a large temperature increase as we drill deeper. Um, But of course, this big temperature increase is easier to access in certain locations um, than others. And so uh, right now, it's most of the geothermal electricity production is seen in California and Nevada for the United States, and then kind of around the ring of fire for the whole globe. And so a lot of geothermal enthusiasts, which I include uh, myself in, say that it's a the one of the most exciting uh, renewable energy sources, because it's always on. And so that's kind of what gives it a nice edge over wind and solar right now as it will provide a nice base load.
0: and and kind of speaking of that ring of fire and, and digging into the earth you know when i certainly consider geothermal energy my first thought goes to heat can geothermal energy be produced using low temperature
1: absolutely and that i would say is where a lot of kind of the pushes right now to Um, make sure that the general public is more aware of those kind of um, opportunities for geothermal. So um, low temperature resources, so anywhere between 60 to 100 degrees Celsius can be used directly for space heating, greenhouse heating, fish farming and other industrial applications. Um, And you also see a lot of ground source heat pumps that can be used uh, with really shallow wells and pipes to kind of boost heating, uh, both commercially and and, in private houses.
0: What, What do geothermal systems require to start creating energy?
1: So the kind of main three are sufficient heat. So the temperature, then you need permeability so that we can move the fluids around. So the fluids, again, um, would be the third necessary part for a geothermal system. And so the fluids act as our way of harvesting out um, that temperature from the subsurface. And then the other thing, of course, to consider is, you know, the economic rates at at each certain local market. So um, again, heat, permeability, and fluids. But then I think one of the more challenging part of actually taking geothermal into creating energy is the infrastructure that is needed. So the wells, again, depending on where the resource is, might be quite costly because you have to drill to quite large depths. But then you also have to think about the um, building the power plant. So building the generator and then the tr- transmission infrastructure. And then the risk, of course, is that um, this infrastructure that you've built doesn't match well with this subsurface geothermal reservoir. And so um, you have to make sure that, you know, you understand the the reservoir fairly well and and design it and design um, the infrastructure around that.
0: When, when i when you're thinking about kind of drilling down it makes me think a little bit of induced seismicity and is that relevant to what you're working with with geothermal energy?
1: Yes. So induced seismicity has happened um, via kind of two two methods that are related to geothermal. The first is reinjection of geothermal fluids. So after they've produced the hot geothermal fluids, they then will reinject that fluids. In, in hopes of kind of you know keeping the pressurization um, going in the reservoir. And then second is through EGS, which stands for Enhanced Geothermal Energy. So that can be kind of thought as the kind of unconventional geothermal. So they're using things that are not unlike fracking in order to create that permeability and, and harvest that um, heat, if you will. And so unfortunately, early around, Uh, I guess around 2000s is when there were some induced seismicity events in Iceland, France, and Switzerland, and I believe also in the geysers, California. And so this has unfortunately caused some negative public perception. But I think now what we see around, similarly with unconventional oil, that the more we can understand, hopefully, the more we can um, control and avoid induced seismicity
0: yeah, I want to uh, look a little more in depth at the paper that you have here for December's the leading edge and and start with just explaining this metric that you created, this value of information or v o i uh, just exactly what what is that
1: so. Just to clarify, I didn't create it, it, (laughs) (laughs) but I have been um, championing it definitely in the geophysics community. And so value of information comes from this field called decision analysis. And so as you might guess, suppose you're faced with a decision, well, this metric says, well, what if this decision has very highly uncertain outcomes, such as drilling for a geothermal well? You, you're not sure um, if you're going to hit you know, a very high temperature with a lot of fluids. And so this, the, the high risks that are involved in this decision um, might not justify taking this action of drilling. So you also are faced with this Decision that you could spend more of your resources or money on further information collection to help you mitigate these high risks. And in geophysics, especially, this information um, not only does it cost money, but it also might not tell you cl- in a clear cut way, you know, are you going to hit this high temperature? with fluid's geothermal resource. And so, VOI allows us to put statistics on how reliable and how accurate is this information. And considering that, plus how how high of a risk is this geothermal drilling decision, does it make sense for us to collect either seismic or um, a resistivity survey before we make any of these geothermal drilling decisions? So, In a one-sentence explanation, I would say VOI is like a cost-benefit analysis, but it includes probabilities.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, what challenges do you face in utilizing VOI in particular for, in specifics, for geothermal energy?
1: So the biggest one is to get at these reliability or accuracy measurements of a geophysical technique. So in order to do that, you would need many calibrated data sets, or what they now say, labeled data sets in the machine learning parlance. So this either requires a lot of great documented case studies where the operators have published all of their drilling outcomes, which does not occur frequently in either oil and gas or (laughs) geothermal, or it requires very realistic and numerous synthetic studies that can represent all of the potential subsurface scenarios and drilling outcomes.
0: You know, I I imagine this could be a little tricky situation for a manager. So how can a manager know when utilizing this technique would be a smart decision for him or herself?
1: So in my biased opinion, I think it's always a good idea to use Mm. VOI. But to, to kind of explain that further, I would say they don't need to be as Um, involved calculations, as I demonstrate in the Leading Edge article, they can be just back of the envelope calculations. So my career as a statistical geophysicist has been focusing a lot of effort on getting really realistic statistics on geophysics that are hopefully representative of the physics. But back of the envelope calculations using your years of expertise um, in the field are just as valid. And I just think VOI allows you to really question yourself, okay, what am I going to do with this information? What kind of decisions do I need to make? And is this technique really appropriate?
0: I kind of like this insight I was getting from your paper that led to this question here of, of what value do you see geophysics bringing to geothermal developers?
1: So... It depends. (laughs) It it depends on what kind of uncertainty are you dealing with and what kind of geology is in the area. Um, So if your uncertainty is more related to permeability or the volume of the resource, then I think there are enough proxies that geophysics can be sensitive to. But temperature is a harder parameter to remotely sense or for geophysical techniques to see. I would like to mention that geochemistry has a lot of potential to help determine um, the temperature regime of the system. So I think there's a lot of potential to combine both geochemistry and geophysics. So, yeah, a lot of exploration has been done with resistivity surveys to kind of define um, where the heat source might be, um, things like the cap rock, etc. Uh, gravity magnetics can be used um, with geologic mapping but again, it, it depends on what local resource you might be looking at.
0: Has that been a difficult sell in the past to geothermal developers of bringing in geophysics to help with, with the prospecting?
1: Um, oh, that's a good question. I just know some of my colleagues that are reservoir, purely geothermal you know, multi-phase flow guys, they they do. They say, I want to know about temperature and geophysics can't necessarily tell me about temperature. But I would say that's definitely for the more conventional, let's look for a big, hot reservoir. But there's a lot of, you know, smaller scale, um, as you asked me earlier about low temperature Resources that we can tap into um, that I believe geophysics can help with,
0: and speaking of what geophysics can help with is full f- full waveform inversion the key to bringing more geophysical value to geothermal prospecting?
1: So my understanding that of the top three advances that w- full waveform inversion can bring is that it includes the whole wave field information. so we have you know great representation of the physics it doesn't require as much pre-processing of data and the resolving power can help see small scale structural features. So given these advancements, there could be potential for seeing, you know, fractures which play a large role for permeability and potentially um, we could see effects from temperature on compressibility, say of fluids um, in a saturated medium. But I would just caveat, caveat all of that, that more studies need to be done. So right now, I feel like the emphasis has been on full waveform inversion for oil and gas. So um, I think a lot more has to be looked into if it can actually help answer um, the important questions for geothermal.
0: Now, why do you say in your conclusion to your article that geophysicists must keep their focus on effectiveness? Over efficiency for geothermal energy.
1: So this comes from my experience of seeing uh, many geophysicists trying to apply or you know transfer some of the technology over to geothermal without really knowing what are some of the the key questions that they that geothermal explorationists want to know. So I believe that geophysicists working with and familiar with p- like the petroleum sector. Um, realize that the economics are different for geothermal. And they think that they should just kind of cut corners with existing technology. But instead, I think they need to ask what can be done to better resolve parameters that matter, you know, such as temperature and permeability. And so instead of, you know, thinking about what's the cheap way I can process this, Think about really, you know, what are what are they worried about when they're trying to think about where to drill? So permeability, again, in, in traditional geothermal systems, is primarily in faults and fractures, um, and this can be challenging to locate with, you know, some of the currently available methods, um, especially given that the b- budget is very different um, than in oil and gas. So. I guess it was my call to think outside the box and to make sure to have conversations with geothermal practitioners.
0: That makes a lot of sense there. You know, you, you mentioned more research is needed. When you look at this special section in December's the Leading Edge, what, what kind of inspires you? What do you hope to see after looking at this section next in the research? What, what are you kind of excited to work on or see others kind of take up from what you're reading in this special section?
1: This is a great question. <laughs> so I hope that the readers can use this issue, just as a start, you know, or a primer to understand maybe some of the challenges in characterizing geothermal reservoirs. There's a lot of heterogeneity and land noise that some geophysicists are are familiar with, um, but perhaps more important um, to learn, and which I fully admit that I'm still doing myself is about some of the new exciting geothermal technologies that are on the horizon. So not just the conventional big geothermal exploration, but maybe more realistic opportunities to help pull in geothermal into this, you know, low carbon energy mix. So seeing it as, you know, a a nice, consistent, small baseload for heating, commercial and residential infrastructure, but also... You know, thinking about how um, if we do look to these more engineered geothermal systems, again, EGS or the similar to unconventional reservoirs in oil and gas, they're going to require fracture activation. So a related challenge will be learning how to handle potential induced seismicity, which I think a lot of geophysicists have um, this experience. So how do we predict, prevent, or provide some warnings for this? And uh, I spoke with a colleague of mine who works actively in Iceland, um, in geothermal. And his point was, well, let's look at other industries where they've really been able to bring costs down, but not at the expense of really great technology. So r- SpaceX was able to build a rocket um, at a fraction of what it costs NASA. So. Can we do that with geophysics that was developed for oil and gas, but make it work for geothermal? So th- those kind of things I don't have the answers for, but I really hope people, the geophysics community is inspired to do that.
0: This is probably in your wheelhouse, but as not a, a rocket scientist, I, I just finished <laughs> reading a book called Think Like a Rocket Scientist. And a big part of that book was talking about SpaceX and how Elon Musk coming at it from a different angle from NASA in, in the US kind of helped him see how they could cut costs and, and still do the things that they want to do without compromising safety or the technology itself. So uh, maybe that that book could shed some light for for other people in industries if, if they're looking at this. You, know, you In your conclusion, you were talking about effectiveness over efficiency, and that just kind of made me think about where we're at in the state of the oil and gas industry. So how do you see these papers you know, how do you see them kind of speaking to the economic situation, the oil and gas industry finds itself in right now?
1: Yeah, it it seems like the acronym of the day is MIT, members in transition. And so I've, yeah, it's been pretty moving to hear about how many people have been affected by this downturn. And there's just so many incredibly skilled and knowledgeable geoscientists and geophysicists in the SCG and um, leading-edge readership that I really hope that they're able to tap into the geothermal industry. And I guess, and I hope this isn't too far off in the weeds, but it's pretty... Amazing that between 2009 and 2020, uh, compared to wind and solar, geothermal received about a hundred times less re- investment. Mm. And so, I guess my my hope would be that um, geothermal starts to get more attention. It's kind of the forgotten low carbon energy. And I guess I would just say uh, the situation that oil and gas is in, well, if you can at all, you know, be a proponent of geothermal, you know, to your, you know, policy makers that could hopefully help, you know, provide opportunities for this very knowledgeable tech savvy um, geoscientist community to you know, move over into this um, geothermal advocacy and and um generation
0: and and kind of moving towards some some fun things to think about here. You know, please finish this sentence. If geothermal energy reaches its full potential for geophysics, it will
1: move us a step closer to a carbon neutral world, yeah.
0: <laughs> which I think right <laughs>
1: now is something we are all concerned about. I think we're all witnessing climate change um, every day. So again, I would just love to see this kind of marriage of um, very skilled geophysicists helping us fulfill the the potential of, of geothermal energy.
0: And I, I like to end here with the, a couple general questions uh, for the audience. If you could offer one piece of advice for someone that would like to succeed in this field, what would it be?
1: I guess this advice is pretty generic, but, you know, have passion for it and show your passion. Um, I have a colleague that was a geophysicist or is, excuse me, I have a colleague who is a geophysicist and worked kind of more in the engineering field of geophysics Um, For a very long time, but had this very deep passion for geothermal and um, was just very active in finding whatever opportunities he could to increase his knowledge of geothermal, but also increase his network. And now he is working on a uh, pretty large geothermal research project. Not to put too much of a, well, just to put, I guess, a caveat on that, it is a project that is um, through a national lab. And so I think it just kind of goes again towards this idea of geothermal receiving 100 times less investment than solar and and wind, because I think if that is a little more evened out, there would be more private sector opportunities um, than there are. But even that said, I've I've started to educate myself on more smaller businesses that are out there doing geothermal work. And I think there are plenty of opportunities. So I'm not sure how concrete (laughs) of answer that is for people. But, um, yeah, you just you need to network just like any other business. And I think the, the opportunities will arise.
0: Yeah, usually the the I've not heard passion before, I don't believe. And and usually the advice is something a lot. It's kind of hard to quantify. But I think it's, it's helpful to get a reminder for people that, you know, these people like yourself and, and many others, they don't fall into success. <laughs> there There's yeah, things involved yeah. in it. So I think it's helpful to hear.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah, be, be active. Definitely. Yeah. and And, ex- and show people you're passionate.
0: And writing articles in the TLE is a good way to show people you're, you're passionate and knowledgeable at the same time. Yeah. So let's look a little grander here, possibly. If you could solve just one mystery as a scientist, what would you hope to solve?
1: That's really hard. <laughs> I, 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 this is only because we talked about it today. It would be if we, if we unleash the cutting edge Full waveform inversion technology that we have, with you know full rock physics, et cetera, How well could we actually image and characterize temperature in the subsurface? So yeah, it would be it would be some crazy full physics simulation to to see can can we see really deep temperature effects in the subsurface? So yeah, Well that's that a, a
0: great response. <laughs> Maybe that'll happen one day, which would be amazing. Thank you for your time today and, and talking about this special section in your paper. And uh, it's exciting to learn a little bit more about this. And I'm sure the listeners will as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bacomgen, Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.